Hey, this is Ashlyn, former co-host of the Top 10 Recovery Podcast, The Betrayed, The Addicted, and The Expert. I have had my challenges, but I am also living proof that joy is possible, even when life does not go as planned. I'm excited to share with you real examples of living a life full of adventure, true healing, and freedom, no matter how messy life gets. Each episode, I will introduce you to someone I love and respect to talk about ways to be the buffalo and to face your storms in different areas of life. Okay. I am excited to have Kristen here with me today. We've had Kristen on the Betrayed the Addicted Expert podcast before, and now she's here with just me. Um, Kristen and I share a birthday, so we're automatically best friends, right? Right. It just happens. It just has to be. Uh Yes. So Kristen's here to talk about how we can have a healthy sexual health um, as a single or in a relationship, whatever we are. And she's one of my favorite um, experts to learn from because she just makes it easy. So she is a licensed clinical social worker and an ASAC certified sex therapist. She's the founder and CEO of the healing group, and she has the unique ability to break down the topics of sexuality into easily digestible pieces, empowering people to further develop their sexual identity. She really does. Like she has all these really fun. Um, what do you even call them? All your little the metaphors. And, yeah. Your uh, metaphors. They're just helpful to like, that makes sense. Okay. Mm, yeah. So that makes me happy to hear. Yes. I love it. And, um, she helps me learn a lot every day. So I'm happy to have you here. And I really want to start with something that you helped me correct my verbiage on, which is the difference between sexual health versus healthy sexuality. Yeah. It's, it's super subtle. And I want to lead with humility and vulnerability, because I was also like healthy sexuality. And then my mentor, Doug Brown Harvey, who really helped me switch my thinking on this said, if we talk about healthy sexuality, then we have somebody, somebody, some organization Mm -hmm. is determining what is healthy by their standards. And so we can say this is healthy and we can assume like this is healthy, but you could go over to another community, another culture, another faith, uh, tradition, and what's healthy there isn't healthy to another. And so when you flip it to sexual health, sexual health is rooted on principles that people can then apply their values and their culture to establish their own form of healthy sexuality. So it's, these are the principles in which we know sexual health thrives And when you build your life around these principles, any religion, value, system, and culture can get around these. Okay. So I, I love, love, love that. And when you explained it to me, it was like, okay, that makes so much sense. And that's probably a lot of the reasons, um, where I struggled with my own sexual identity and, and figuring out what were my accelerators and then the things that turned me off because I was going with what's normal. Yes. What, what is everyone telling, like, what's, what's everyone else doing? And definitely within culture and religion and family dynamics, like we're either not talking about it or when we are, it's like very, very narrow-minded and kind of fear-based. 
yeah, it's fear-based and it can also be act-based. Like we deem like it's very behavior-based as well. Like we're talking about what behaviors are healthy or Mm. not healthy. And we're basically, someone is choosing to become the authority on these behaviors are healthy. These are not instead of looking at the behaviors, I feel like I should share, like, this is a really natural time to talk about the six principles of sexual health. Yes. Because then you have (laughs) this scaffolding or you have this framework to think about as you're growing and developing your sexual identity of what this is. And I'm sorry, I've got something in my throat. So let me clear that. But So these aren't these aren't necessarily in order, but they all matter. And they, they don't have to be um, in partnered relationships only. These are for human okay. beings and are just a good way to start internalizing for yourself. So consent, mm. that's, that's the first one, is are yeah. we both agreeing to this, which then goes into non-exploitation? Because sometimes that's the second one. We, we yeah. get not we get exploitation and consent mixed up Hmm. like if someone uh, violates our monogamy agreement they can say they've they violated our consent like I didn't consent to them going and doing that but actually they exploited the trust we had in the relationship yeah it's an exploitation issue so Hmm. consent is the first one where when we are engaging in consensual interactions that is a principle of sexual health. And so we want to align ourselves with that. The next one would be non-exploitation, not taking advantage and exerting power control mm. or um, I guess that those are the biggest things, not taking advantage of the relationship and the trust and what has been built for our own gain, for our own wants, our own pleasure mm. at the expense of another person. Hey, that one right there, I'm like, Oh, I feel like my whole audience can embrace that and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that ties in to honesty Mm. being, I mean, all of these kind of stand and support each other of being honest, which then requires being honest in what you want, honest in what you don't want and showing up really vulnerably and authentically, that's mm-hmm. a really difficult one. At, at first glance, when I go through these with clients or in conversation, people are like, yeah, yeah, no, they all make sense. And then the application of them, <laughs> it's really hard to look at the ways that we all exploit certain relationships for our own gain, or we don't show up honestly, that maybe we're not overtly lying, but we're not sharing. Yes. You know, well, I always laugh because I think we have a whole podcast episode on the fact that we can get naked and have sex, but we can't be vulnerable enough to actually talk about it. Like, let's go and reprocess what just happened. Yes. Are we, was that a good thing? Were there boundaries crossed? Like those to me are beautiful moments that a lot of us aren't having. I didn't have them for ages. Yeah. There, that, you hit on something that's so important that people are having sex long before they learn how to talk about sex. And I used to take calls on the radio, X96. I don't know if you, and that Uh was really fun. And people would call and want to solve their problems without having to say a word, like help me solve this (laughs) with bypassing my partner. We don't want to talk about it, but we just want it solved. Mm -hmm. And so learning how to talk about these things 
is so important, even at yeah. the expense of, and I'm sure you hear this, people not wanting to hurt their partner's feelings. Oh. And so they choose to not say anything to avoid hurting their feelings, but they're hurting other things by doing that. 100%. I heard a quote today on a podcast that said, communication is lubrication. Yes. I love that. <laughs> I love that. It is. That's exactly right. And it is something that can be practiced. It's just none of us yeah. grew up doing it and we don't know how or, but you can truly learn how to do it. And it doesn't, some people can think that it kills the romance, that we have this idea that mm -mm. if you talk about it, you kill it and it can actually enhance it because there's I agree. something quite amazing when you share what your needs are and your wants are and your partner has an opportunity to meet those needs. That can be so amazing, it's, pleasurable, all the things. I agree. And it also allows, I feel like for me, it's allowed me to step into my body and yes. that confident self of like, I know who I am and I know what I want. Yes. And I, this is, you know, here's my desires is vulnerable, mm -hmm. but it's also really connecting and beautiful. Absolutely. Um, the next one is mutual pleasure. And I see this a lot. I hear this from a lot of women, like I have not yet experienced an orgasm or the way mm. that we're pacing our sex life is such that I don't ever like experience orgasm or this isn't working for me. And so when people, I think this is important also because culturally we haven't prioritized female pleasure. And so no matter where you are in your, your life, if you're single partnered, divorced, starting to claim that your pleasure matters is a great place to start so that when you are then getting into a relationship, you don't give up on that, that you work for mutual pleasure. But that I is love a, that. a very important principle. And when people are engaging in sexual activity, having that be a foundational thing of we both want to feel good. We both want to feel connected. Like this is mutual. Yes. Well, and then you want the desire goes up. And for me, it did when it was like, Oh, I matter. Wait, I matter. I have a voice. Yes. Um, and it was, it was good for both. So, um, I bet you get this a lot. I get it here and there because I do these little sex chats on my Instagram, but I'm sure you get it all the time that like I'm 40 years old and I just had my first orgasm. Thank I, you all the time. Or I'm 40 year old, 40 years old. I've had three children. I've been married 20 years and I've never orgasmed. Yes. Right. Like you hear that a lot and starting to make that a priority and starting to speak up because that's the other piece. When you say you have a voice now yeah. you're co-creating your sex life. And for some women, when they're low, when they experience low desire, if the sex they're having isn't worth wanting, you're probably not going to want it. So when people are like, I don't ever want to have sex. I'm like, well, what kind of sex are you having? Is it worth wanting? Mm, I love that. See, and I feel like you could, I would talk to you all day if I could, Kristen, because <laughs> I love this so much. How often do we both hear just the, the unsatisfied, whatever parts of their sexual life. And it's, I know because I was once there and I've also been able to find that happy place for me where I know yeah. And it, and it's great. And it is something to look forward to. It is something I miss and it is something I love. Mm. So yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. And yes. Find your voice. <laughs> uh, the next one is, and this is actually another really important one. 
free from STIs and pregnancy. Okay. Um, from a sexual health standpoint, <clears throat> I'm sorry about that. Um, feeling, and this is really interesting research, but feeling confident in your ability to prevent pregnancy actually can impact your ability to lean into pleasure. That if you are worried about getting pregnant or you're not confident in that, then you are less likely to relax and let go because you're very concerned about getting pregnant. This or or pregnancy, that doesn't just, that's not just for people who have bodies that can get pregnant. Um, there are plenty of people um, that if they engage in sex and they are not certain that a baby's not going to come out of it, it mm. can really inhibit a lot of factors. Same with STIs, if there's not confidence that they're going to be safe. So that's when, when you also look at people's methods of how they're choosing to prevent pregnancy. That's another co-created conversation mm. of how do we want to do this so that it frees up our mental space yeah. and we can both experience mutual pleasure, right? Like they, yeah. they weave into each other. So that one, a lot of people that are in long-term monogamous relationships will be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But really um, that's an important piece and people um, just discussing how we're going to prevent pre pregnancy and being open to changing what that looks like across the lifespan. Maybe mm. you prevented one way at this point in another way. Yes. Right. You being open to that. Yes. Okay. So I have a question on that. Do you find that one gender is, is carrying more of that mental load than the other? Or is well, it right now? And I would say in religious cultures or where patriarchal traditions are present, the female carries that load, that they're the one responsible for preventing pregnancy and finding that method instead of saying, we are both choosing that we don't want to have a baby right now. How would we like to prevent that? There are so many options and ways to prevent pregnancy, but country by country, there will typically be two dominant ways to prevent pregnancy for various cultural reasons. So in the US, um, IUDs and oral contraception are our two methods, but there's over 23 ways that you can prevent. And when people are looking at what is the most effective, it's the method that you use. What are you <laughs> going to use consistently? And that's the most effective, right? Yeah. Uh, like you could hear that oral contraception is really effective, but if you're not taking it because it makes you have all these different side effects, that's not going to be very effective, despite its efficacy if you're using it perfectly. Okay. I like that. So See? something to consider. Cool. Okay. Um, and then the last is shared values mm -hmm. that again is, um, what are you both valuing from your sexual experience and your relationship? And that requires conversation that requires having, um, checking in and showing up and being honest and claiming what matters to you. And I actually love these even for adolescents because, and I know this is a little bit of a pivot, but when we're looking at adolescents and they're considering becoming sexually active or they are sexually active, it's like, there's, there's always a question of readiness. Like, am I ready to have sex? Mm -hmm. And if they can start really claiming these, this is, this is a more adult way yeah. to approach sexuality. And if they can't have these conversations or they're not discussing how they are going to prevent pregnancy or even experience mutual pleasure, then there's still some more growing up that 
that needs to occur. That just sounds a little bit mind-blowing, I think, for probably a lot of parents to even consider having. <laughs> Let's talk about all these things. And yeah. you do you have your online course for teaching, helping parents teach their kids, right? Yeah. Yep. I've got and, the, yeah, the foundations, which is talking to your kids about sex. And then there's one on masturbation and there's one on pornography. But even for parents to learn how to have these conversations, yeah. a lot of adults aren't having these. So then to have it with your kids, I guess uh-huh. I, I go down to, I don't know if you've heard these stories, Ashlyn, but down at BYU, I always hear what kind of sexual activity they're engaging in. And if they were following the six principles of sexual health, there's a lot of not mutual pleasure happening. Mm. Um, But it just starts to move. It helps kids develop a readiness. Like, am I ready beyond just a moral, a moral meter? It's more like, these are the things you need to be thinking about and considering and that you would become responsible for. It's, it allows a, a lot more ownership over their sexuality instead of a, no, you can't to Mm. here's some deeper nuance as to why and what you need to be thinking about and preparing yourself for. I love it. Thank you. I will say this. I had a friend who did the course, the parenting, um, teaching your kids about that. And she said it was kind of the gateway to now I can talk about it with my partner. Oh, really? Yes. Because it was so scary to like, let's talk about our actual sexual health, but I can do it to my kids even though that's deeply uncomfortable. So you never know. (laughs) Well, for a lot of people, that's honestly why I started doing the the parenting courses is Mm -hmm. this is education a lot of adults never got. So they're getting their own education. And that's really where talking to our kids about sex begins is increasing our own comfort. That's that's 95% of it. The actual, the factual and the actual matters, but our comfort level and our willingness is really high. I love that. Okay. I'm going to shift a little bit. Um, question on what is sensuality, sexuality, and how does that fit into someone like me who's single? So I think I, I really loved this question when you originally posed it, because I think sensuality is an overall connection with your sexual and sensual self and expressing it through physical connection is one way that you can experience that sensuality, but cultivating our own sensuality, which is connecting with our creative power, our own inherent beauty, our strength, um, our energy, our body, that is sensuality. And that is what we cultivate from within. And if people um, are in a position where they're, they were partnered and they're no longer partnered and they're choosing to not engage in partnered sexual activity, you don't have to shut off your sensuality. You just may express it differently, but you can still connect to the, the world around you. Like even when I step outside and I connect with my breath and I look at the trees and I hear the the rain because it was raining last night I believe Mm -hmm. that can be a very sensual experience where we are connected it's a soul connection I'm curious how you view sensuality 
Well, I love all that. I'm, I just signed up to go to a femininity energy uh-huh. healing thing down in Texas today. So, uh-huh. um, I am, I mean, what you're describing is more of that feminine energy. And for me, I was very much in my masculine. We have both masculine and fem- feminine. Uh-huh. We're not going to go deep into it because that's not what this podcast is. Um, but I, I was showing up in, as a, in a partner relationship and without a partner, just controlling. Um, I was solving other people's problems. I was really taking lead on things that weren't my business. And it had me feeling a lot of overwhelm, Mm. a lot of resentments and frustrations. And I didn't feel like I was using my voice, even though I was using my voice. So when I'm in more of my feminine and that sensual self, I am more playful. I, I want to, I want to be connected outside more. Um, I, I ask the girls that I mentor, I, one of their requirements is get outside for 10 minutes every day. You've Mm got to, you got to ground yourself Mm -hmm. because sometimes we get stuck in the house and we don't even leave. Um, for me, I went dancing on a date and it was, I had a smile on my face the entire time. Like my face hurts so bad. Um, but it felt just fluid and the movement, it was beautiful. Mm -hmm. So that for me, a hundred percent, just being able to find what makes me feel like me. Yeah. I don't get tired. I don't feel exhausted or, um, you know, frustrated with the people around me Yeah, because I'm focused on me. I'm confident in me. Yeah. When you're saying that, I really love that because sensuality to me is that you use the word fluidity. Mm -hmm. And I think the masculine tends to be a lot more structured. Mm -hmm. And I think as women, we can get caught up into the routine and the structure and the tasks because there's so much to get done. There's so many moving parts and pieces, but when we become so imbalanced with the structure that we lose the fluidity, we lose our sensuality. Yes. And so it's really nurturing that intentionally. Hey, I love that. And I've always been very routined. I have my calendar. I'm, I'm very Mm, habitual, very habitual. However, I'm very habitual and free. So I'm like super open. And that's been within the last few years where I'm like, why am I being so rigid? I, I need more of that. Somebody asked me to go on a walk tomorrow morning. I met her on the walk this morning. Yeah. And sure. I'll meet you there. Let's go. Uh, that's, that's not in my schedule, but guess what? I can make it work. And so little things um, like that. The, I always think of the fluidity makes the structure functional. Otherwise Mm. it turns to rigid. And if we don't have a bit of structure, the fluidity becomes chaos. So we really need the both, but nurturing our sensuality is so important. I love that. And I love, I love that you said, if you are in a, you know, once in a relationship and now not, you're in a single hood, you don't have to shut it down because no. I, that is a, that is a message I get often of like, tell me how you're shutting it down. I'm like, I'm not. Right. right. <laughs> and I'm not sharing details here of how I'm not, but I'm not mm-hmm. because that's part of who I am. And right. if I have to turn it off, how am I going to turn it back on? That's just it is I think so often we get stuck in sex and sexuality is what we do instead of who we are. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's, it really is channeling. I love thinking of um, streams or water runoff after the spring season and the water's coming down the mountain and you can channel it to where you want to mm-hmm. go, but damming it 
trying to shut it off does not work because it's going to flow. That water runoff is going to happen. And so our sexuality and sensuality is a given. And that I listed here of start another way that we cultivate our sensuality is to view pleasure as a practice. But that is something that becomes an intentional practice of our every day because we can lose that. Like for me, even shifting into way I will eat fruit and slowing down and experiencing it or giving myself to feel pleasure um, in a variety of ways, not just sexual pleasure. But if we if we are disconnected from pleasure in our everyday, it's really hard to then just connect into sexual pleasure. So not having it be so segmented, but starting to make that I, there's a great book called pleasure activism, and it just talks about how that needs to become something that we are so intentional and won't compromise on is everyday pleasure. I love that. I'm going to look it up. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Um, If one finds themselves feeling shame for anything sexual without a partner, where can they start to shift or be more open to being curious about what that may look like for them? Working through sexual shame is similar to the physical therapy of mental health. Sexual shame is a learned thing that we internalize over time. Sometimes we don't have the overt messages, like we maybe weren't told that sex is bad explicitly, but it wasn't talked about. And so we learned that, ooh, that there's something that's not okay about this. Or we learned about every single part of our body except for our genitals. And we're like, oh, that's weird. Like we'll talk about every single part except for mm-hmm. those. Um, and so that is really where you start to name the shame and identify it to recognize this is shame. This isn't seeing that emotion for what it is Mm -hmm. rather than an absolute truth because shame wants us to believe like, no, this is a fact. You are broken. This is bad. This is wrong. And what you're doing is wrong versus, oh, this is the shame talking because I'm engaging in sexuality or sensuality. And of course it's going to come up and I'm just going to acknowledge and name that emotion and continue to move forward. And it does get better over time. Mm -hmm. The other thing is witnessing that with groups or women or friends, because shame, if you go to Brene Brown's research, shame Mm -hmm. exists in the private and the secret places. But once you start to shed light on it, it doesn't have as much power. Oh yeah. I see that every day. I lived that. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's a beautiful thing to be able to, I actually last night on, um, Marco Polo, my favorite app. I yes. sure I talk about it every day. Um, one of my girlfriends, we were talking details about this is how this is how oral sex is for me. And I was like, this is crazy. I, she was mm-hmm. like, I can't believe we're having this detailed conversation, but also I love that we're doing this because I've never been able to have this with anyone else. You know, you have to like read about things or talk with your partner about things, but to have a girlfriend yes. to say this is have you done this or this works for me? It's like, what? It was really beautiful. It is beautiful and it normalizes it and it integrates it that we talk about all these other things and we can talk about sex. And that's, that's a really big deal to be able to get to that point with other people. Because the other thing that people always want to know is, am I normal? Is this okay? (laughs) And really, once we start talking, we're like, oh, there is no normal 
and this mm-hmm. is so normal all at the same time. Yes, um, I I've heard that a lot in the last few weeks because of sex because of September, but saying like, well, my fantasy is this. It's kind of weird, and uh, and then they say it, and I'm like, that's not weird. That's just what you're into. Like that's right. <laughs> it's yeah. just you. It's just so, you. Yeah, mm-hmm. but you know what it is, so that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that the whole idea, just be curious. So when those things pop up and you hear that narrative of this is bad, or you shouldn't, we're shooting on ourselves, yep. just be curious. Where did it come from? That's right. Is it, is it your thought or is it, you know, shame? So you feel, I, I want to just piggyback on that before we move on really quickly that we can feel shame in our body. Mm. We can like, we can have a body response. We can have an emotional response. We can have a spiritual response. We can have a mental response. So starting to see all the different places that shame can show up. And this is where Emily Nagoski's garden metaphor in her book, Come As You Are, can be, you can do this with shame to see what messages were planted into your garden that are no longer serving you. They're not helping you. And you can start to pull those out and say, those aren't serving me anymore. They're present. Like weeds grow back. And so Mm -hmm. sometimes you pull the weed and you have to keep that negative thought. You're like, I'm done with it. And then it shows up again. That's where that's that practice. Um, That's kind of the work of shame and Mm -hmm. we get better at it, but in some sense, you're always attending to shame. Like you don't ever get over anger. You don't overcome sadness. You just learn how to manage it. And shame is a part of that. Yes. So that's the funny thing is um, shame resilience, that work that I did a group on shame resilience through Brene Brown and the group work was awesome. But at the end it's, you know, people are like, but wait, so we still feel shame, but I thought we were going to learn how not to feel shame. And no, it's just being able to acknowledge it mm-hmm. and work your way through it rather than letting it own. I, I thought it owned me. In fact, I, funny enough said to my therapist, I don't have any shame. I'm successful. I'm confident. I'm all these things. And she's like, I think you really should take this group class. I think, I think you really would like it, um, gently pushing me along. And I stepped into that class and just fell apart. Like my whole world was ruled by shame. Yeah. Sometimes you need that permission. The the other thing that I find is shame has strong defenses. So like, even as a therapist, when I will bring up shame and people like, no, I don't have shame or they'll get mad at me which is totally fine because that's the shame that when you poke at it, you name it, it will, it's got like strong army to defend and protect it. Oh yeah. I was, Um, I was that client Yeah, (laughs) and it's, and it's good. So I deal with it every day and it's a, it's a good thing to, it's the best work I would say that I've done is to work on my shame resilience because it hits so many different parts of my life. That's right. Okay. So if there are, um, men or women listening and they're saying, okay, I, I know that my sexual health is out of balance. Where do they even begin? Where do they start to, to foster a healthy, um, lifestyle for themselves and figuring out their values and those, those core steps that you talked about? That's, that's beginning their education. A lot of people, again, want to take a step and they need to know how, choosing, I mean, I, I think I always start with books simply because it's a starting point or values. Like that's, I've got a values course. That's five days of emails. That's super simple and straightforward. Um, starting there, like any starting point will lead you, but most people start because they've been harmed by sexuality. Like my mentor always says that, unfortunately, when we have been harmed, that gives us permission now to talk about sex. Yes. Right. 
Yeah. And so if, if you're not in that space, even starting to be willing to say, I would love to start to learn about sexuality and get education. You can learn kids books. It's amazing. I've got mm-hmm. uh, the period 101 book and everyone that reads it, they're like, I had no idea these things. And you always have to think that most of us got about a fourth grade education level around sexuality because we didn't, we weren't taught that in school. So it's just starting and it's really wanting. It started, I guess the starting place is to recognize that I am out of balance. I would like to take a step in the right direction. That might be a conversation with a partner. It might be a conversation with a friend. It might be a book. It might be a podcast. It it can be so many things, um, but it's just taking that step. Yes. And thank you for that because I was that, you know, I had the trauma and was compelled to step into this work. And there's nothing wrong with being compelled. Nope. Um, I don't know that I ever would have otherwise yep. if I wasn't compelled. So I'm grateful for that. But it was very little steps because right. I was afraid. I was yep. super afraid. And for me personally, the afraidness was more, the fear was like, if I heal these wounds and I start to embrace who I am sexually, find that sexual goddess, what happens to this over here? Like, does it all go away? Mm-hmm. Can I, does my story still matter? And it was so weird to me, but that's also, I know that's how so many women think when they have been hurt and betrayed or assaulted or whatever has happened with their sexual trauma. It, everyone deserves a happy and healthy sex life. I, I just, do. I didn't have one for so long. And now I just think how on earth are people living in these relationships so long and just okay with it? And I, I get it and I don't get it. Cause now I'm like, I'm on sure. the other side. It's so much better. I promise. And it takes people, I think like you and others that speak up of getting to the other side that can then help a person take that step because it, seeing that you're okay on the mm-hmm. other side brings that security that people need and that push like, okay, I'm going to do this because you probably can relate prior. Your story of betrayal probably made you feel like it was keeping you safe and that you wouldn't be hurt again. And that you, you had this lookout instead of now, as you've shifted, you're still safe, but you're coming at Mm -hmm. it from a totally different place. Oh yeah. Now I'm owning who I am and my story rather than it owning me. Yes. And I waited far too long to step into that work. So don't be like me, uh, step into the work, be curious and you can contact Kristen, go follow her at least. That's where you start is go follow her on social media. Um, she's a fun one to, to follow Kristen. Before we go, I do have a question. All what, right. <laughs> what is your most recent be the Buffalo moment? Um, the be the Buffalo moment is turning toward and going towards the storm. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, my be the Buffalo moment was actually really recent where I had a really rough medical condition and I fought it and it was scary until it was leaning into it and being like, it is what it is. And this is thankfully it wasn't a chronic diagnosis, but it was six weeks and I couldn't do anything and just embracing and embracing the stillness. There's very few times in my life as a mother and as a business owner and as a therapist where I get the opportunity to be still and I guess be supported in the stillness. Mm -hmm. So as scary as that was to not resist that and just embrace it for what it was knowing that that 
bubble and that window would close and I would get well. And then it was over and then it was back to life. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. Hopefully that helps someone else who's probably in a similar situation. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks. You're, You're always great. Thanks for being here with me today. Whether I was with you doing your dishes while you got ready or driving in your car. If you found a nugget in this episode, please take 30 seconds. You can click on the link below in the show notes and leave me a quick review over on iTunes, or you can share on social media or shoot me an email. It offers me your support without you having to spend a dime or much of your time. Until next time, be the buffalo.